This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder... When we think of the word kidnapping or abduction, the first thought many of us come up with is the devastating disappearance of a child. But not all who are abducted are helpless children. On February 9, 1960, a man with a well-known last name became the victim of an abduction gone wrong. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Adolf Kors III was born on January 12, 1915, into the prominent brewery family. The heir attended the best schools, graduated from Cornell University, where he was the president of the Quill and Dagger Society and member of Kappa Alpha Society, was a semi-professional baseball player, and chairman of the board for the Coors Brewing Company in Golden, Colorado. He married in 1940 and had four children with his wife who, of course, bore the same legacy as their father. Adolf had money, power, and notoriety, and everyone knew it. On February 9, 1960, Adolf woke up like he did every morning, exercised, showered, dressed, and joined his wife Mary at the kitchen table for their morning coffee. Then he got up, checked on his horses, did some work on the farm, kissed his wife goodbye as he slipped into his blue nylon jacket and tan baseball cap, and headed for his car on the way to the brewery. It was 7.55 a.m. when he waved goodbye to his ranch hand, the last man to see Adolf Kors III alive and well. That same morning, several hours later, a milkman driving on his delivery route came across a station wagon that was blocking the middle of the bridge near Morrison, Colorado. He honked his horn a few times, hoping to get the driver to move on, but when his honks failed to elicit a reaction, he got out of his truck and walked over to the abandoned car. It was empty despite the engine still running and the radio still playing. He honked a few more times to try and get the driver to come back and move the car, but when that too failed, he moved the car himself. As he did so, he noticed a dark stain on the bridge and a tan baseball cap on the river's edge below. He called the police who quickly realized that the abandoned car belonged to Adolf Kors III. Searchers began looking for the 45-year-old heir to the brewing fortune, but other than a few personal items found under the bridge, nothing of use was discovered. 24 hours later, the FBI's Denver division offered their assistance 
the federal kidnapping statute was invoked, and a full investigation began just in time for Mary to receive a typewritten note demanding $500,000 for the return of her husband. With the help of law enforcement, she did exactly as the kidnapper requested, but heard nothing back. Soon, the search for Adolf Kors III became the biggest FBI effort since the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Unfortunately, despite the speed and magnitude to which they worked on the case, it all came to an end when on September 11, 1960, some hikers came across a pair of pants. A search found more clothing, a key bearing his initials, and skeletal remains belonging to Adolf. The bullet holes found in his jacket, the one he put on that day after kissing his wife goodbye, indicated that he had been shot in the back. With his case now shifting from abduction to murder, state and local police worked to pursue one of the most solid leads they had. A number of witnesses placed a canary yellow mercury at and near the scene, and when the car was found torched in a New Jersey dump, they were able to track the owner down, a man named Walter Osborne. They found out that Walter, an alias, had disappeared around the same time that Adolf was abducted, and before fleeing, purchased a gun, handcuffs, and a typewriter. Walter had an insurance policy that named Joseph Corbett as his sole beneficiary, and Corbett had a son named Joseph Corbett Jr., a man previously convicted of murder who had escaped from a California prison. This was a little bit too coincidental, and Joseph Jr. was quickly named a suspect in Adolf's murder. His photos were placed in an issue of Reader's Digest, and soon thereafter, two neighbors called in and Joseph Jr. was arrested in Vancouver, British Columbia. When police knocked on the door of his hotel room, Joseph answered and said, I give up. I am the man you want. Joseph Corbett Jr. was extradited back to Colorado so he could stand trial for Adolf's murder. Investigators worked to make a solid case against the killer and found that some of his co-workers had overheard him talking about his plan to earn over a million dollars and a ransom note. They also found that the typewriter he obtained just before his disappearance matched the one used to type up the note sent to Mary, and that the dirt found under the mercury matched the soil found near the scene of the crime right down to a rare pink feldspar and granite minerals that were also found near where Adolf's remains were found. He was convicted of first-degree murder on March 19, 1961, and was sentenced to life in prison. Nineteen years later, he was released on good behavior and spent time driving a Salvation Army truck before his retirement. In August of 2009, at the age of 80, Joseph Corbett Jr. took his own life in his home just 10 miles from where Adolf lost his life. He spent the rest of his life, all the way up to his suicide, maintaining his innocence. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on February 10th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.